and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 7, Lie to Me. I actually don't have any announcements. Oh, no announcements this week. No announcements this week, which is good because this is another episode where I feel like we have a lot to talk about. There is, there's so much with this episode for, for so many reasons. This is like we, like we said last week, this is part of the trilogy of episodes that are just so good. It's, yeah, this is, yeah, it's right there in the middle of like my three favorite episodes of like all time. And we'll talk about a little bit more at the end when we talk about like the tragedy behind this episode but this episode really kicks off the rest of the season yes yep i mean i know a lot of people think that like surprise and innocence kick off the back half of the season but we'll talk about why it's actually this episode oh no no especially when you think about the beginning of this episode yeah it's this really yeah this is where it's this is where it all starts this is where it all starts to go awry All right, so lie to me. It aired November 3rd, 1997, and it was still a Monday. Our synopsis is, Buffy is reunited with a friend who is armed with his own stakes and too much info about her slaying habits. (laughs) I understand that it wouldn't have worked with the plot of this episode, but there is a part of me that is like hashtag forever bitter that they didn't bring Pike back. Oh, I know. I know. At least on the show. Like he does come back, as we've mentioned before, in the comics and in one of the novels. And once we get to season three, when that novel is actually set, we'll be doing it as a book club episode. Yes. But it would have been nice to actually see Pike. Yes. But you know what? I do also like the fact that they brought back somebody else to connect Buffy to her time. Yes. At Henry. Yes. I do appreciate that they created this bridge at all. Yes. Anyway, what are international titles, Froggy? So we do have a few this week. Um, As always, I cut out any of the ones that translate to lie to me. So in Armenian, we have deceive me. Ooh. Czech is you're lying to me. Straightforward. Finnish is liar. French (laughs) is just lie. German is death wish. Oh, I like that. (laughs) That works really well for this episode. It does. It does. It also just sounds like an action movie. I think that is a, a <laughs> an action movie title. Mm-hmm. Hungarian is Lies. Italian is The Truth Hurts. Oh. Polish, Secrets and Lies. Oh, I like that one too. And Russian is just Deceive Me. All of these are really good. They are. They are. And I I like- Death Wish is definitely my favorite, but they're all really good. Yes. No, and I like how, I I kind of like how a couple of them translated to Deceive Me instead of Lie to Me. Yeah. It just sounds very poetic. It does. It does. So we have no previously on, we have no Slayer spiel, we go right into a cold open, which is quite possibly one of the creepiest cold opens. Yes, yes. If I didn't know what was going on with this episode, it kind of reminds me of um, the opening of Gingerbread with the little boy. Like, if if I didn't know better about this episode, I would have said something was creepy about the little boy. What it reminded me of is Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes. With the swings going by themselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That The opening of that. Yeah. So this episode was both written and directed by the creator. And so there's actually a note in the script of, 
apologizing to their producer, Gareth, because this shot is described as foggy dark. So I'm going to assume (laughs) that that is something that is just like a complete pain in the ass to shoot. (laughs) I could see, I could see, uh, I could see Gareth getting this script and like, Jesus (laughs) Christ, this is what we're doing now. You're going to make my life miserable. Thanks. So in this scene, a kid sits on a jungle gym waiting for his mother, who, given how dark it is, is very late. Yeah, I want to know what was going on with this kid's mother. Like, I want the I want the side story of why this mother made her kid wait this late. See, that's why, like, the kid is creepy enough. Like, I really Mm would have loved the kid to be some kind of creeper and Drusilla being a creeper and just the two of them being creepers together and like, oh, wait, oh, I'm sorry. This is this is your spot. This is where you're supposed to be today. I'm sorry. I, I didn't check this the schedule. This is your corner? This is your corner. I didn't check the schedule. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know we find out later in the episode that like sundown is like 630, but I feel yeah. it's a lot later than that. Yeah, no, it feels like nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, like why is this small child themselves <laughs> like when he should probably be in bed? Yeah, no, I know. This kid's going to be cranky in the morning. Drusilla approaches and asks the young boy if he's lost. Does he want her to walk him home? Her mummy used to sing to her every night. What will his mummy sing when they find his body? The kid quickly catches on that Drusilla is not someone he should be around and tells her that he's not supposed to talk to people, already slowly backing away. She starts to tell him that she's not a person. When Angel appears, he tells the kid to run home and the kid wastes no time. Once he's gone, Angel turns to face Drusilla. She seems excited to see him, calling him her angel and asking him if he remembers the song her mother used to sing. He tells her he does before telling her to go, to take Spike and leave town. What? Or he'll hurt her? No, he can't. Not anymore. Angel tells her that if she stays, it's going to end badly for all of them. She doesn't care. Not about Angel's warnings. She's too preoccupied with Angel himself. She says her sweet one has gone away. Gone to her. The Slayer. Who at this moment is walking around on a roof that conveniently overlooks this playground. There are so many convenient spots in this town. I'm going to guess like it's an elementary school or a rec center or something. Yeah, something that has, you know, or like, you know, somewhere, yeah, like an after school where, where kids hang out. Yes. But yeah, no, we've discussed how conveniently placed everything is in this look at the the cemetery next to the frat house yeah (laughs) everything is very convenient in this town yeah which is why like i find it funny i was thinking back to nightmares where the uh when when they had the the cemetery appear right across from the school i'm like that wouldn't be suspicious to me no not if it was there every day but i think it was more the fact that it was night it was nighttime but i know but it was just like i don't know how this town is set up so there could be a cemetery right across from the school. That's true. She sees Angel and Drusilla down below, sees how close they seem to be, but neither one sees her. Angel tells Drew that all this, it has to end. But she tells him, no, this is only the beginning. She leans in close, nips at him, and then walks away before Angel too fades back into the shadows. Bam! Credits. Yes. We return from the credits to Sunnydale High and an ultra adorable scene between Jenny and Giles. I love this scene so much. It's so cute. It's just, I love, I love Jenny. I love her so much. 
Jenny is planning a surprise date, something that is driving Giles mad. <laughs> How will he know what to wear? Looking over at his outfit, <laughs> tweed as usual. Jenny asks if he owns anything else. Fine, fine. She wins. He puts himself in her hands. Jenny responds with a sounds like fun before Mm -hmm. beginning to walk away. I like how as the series will progress later on, he still looks like somebody's dad, but he does end up dressing more casually. Like there's so many sweaters that come out and. Oh, yeah. He's always going to have the dad look, but he gets a little bit more casual dad. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you think about the fact that he's not going to have a job anymore. <laughs> That's pretty much when it starts. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he when he comes in, he's basically a teacher. He's a professional. So this is his professional clothing. So yeah, once season three the end of season three happens that's pretty much when he's like okay i don't have to wear and again he's he's comfortable he's he's finally you know everything that happens in season three he kind of lost his place he did so he kind of has to find himself again as she leaves buffy approaches looking just the tiniest bit bummed i'm going to take a moment and say both jenny's dress and buffy's outfit in this scene are delightful oh yes and both feature this like gorgeous shade of purple I know. It's a very, it's a very awesome look. And again, like everything about their outfits is so 90s. There's, there's, there's so many outfits where they can be put anywhere, you know, past the 90s. But this scene is, yeah, this is. Oh, this scene is just so 90s. Yeah. Giles asks how Patrol was and Buffy tells him nothing exciting. He then starts to tell her that he's been looking into Spike, but that nothing he's found has given any idea of why he might have come to Sunnydale. Buffy tells him he'll figure it out, and Giles realizes that Buffy isn't her normal self. He asks if anything's wrong, and she says she's fine. Still, he tells her that she should take the night off, maybe spend some time with Angel. So in the script, there's a small bit that goes before the Angel line, where Giles tells Buffy that maybe she can use the night to catch up on homework, a suggestion that leads her to asking him if they know about fun in England. (laughs) He says they do, but it's considered very poor taste to have any. (laughs) That exchange was eventually cut for time and we were left with Giles skipping right to the idea of her spending time with Angel. Yeah, I get like I get a lot of things have to be cut for time, but I love that exchange. It's just there's a lot in this episode that was cut for time, including a whole through line with Cordelia, which we'll talk about as we go through. And actually, I'm kind of glad that through line was cut. And we'll yeah. we'll talk about that as we progress. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Something it's just sometimes there's such good bits of dialogue that are cut. There's a lot. That- there's an exchange coming up later in the uh, later in the episode that I'm actually very upset they cut. Yeah, maybe she's not sure. He might have other plans. Off Giles' confused look, we move to history class where Buffy and Willow are passing notes. Willow asking if Buffy has any idea who the woman with Angel was. Buffy responds saying no, but also pointing out that she was pretty with dark hair and an old fashioned style dress. Around them, the class is discussing the French Revolution. (laughs) Something Cordelia thinks was totally unfair. (laughs) I always love Cordelia when she comes into these discussions. (laughs) Right? Especially to Marie Antoinette. It takes a lot of effort to look as good as she did. And just because the poor people were depressed, Xander points out that the term is oppressed. (laughs) Right before Cordelia says, whatever, they were grumpy. And so... (laughs) And so we're like, let's cut off some head. Yeah, like that was fair. 
And Marie Antoinette actually cared for the people. She wanted to give them cake. The teacher tells Cordelia that's an interesting perspective. As Willow passes back the note asking vampire, Buffy saves her response for as they're walking out of class, saying she doesn't know. She doesn't think so, as they seemed kind of friendly. Xander wants to know who was kind of friendly. Buffy says no one, as Willow says angel and a girl. (laughs) All accusing. Because if Angel is doing something wrong, well, Willow is 10,000% team Buffy. As is Xander. Though with Xander, it's more about being team not Angel. Yeah, yeah. As he tells Buffy that if Angel's doing something wrong, he wants to know. It gives him a happy. (laughs) Again, I know this is a moment a lot of people give Xander shit for. But I can't believe that all these people have never had a friend or relative who dated someone that they were not crazy about. Oh, God. Oh, I know. Like, we've all had someone date someone that we didn't like. And so when they messed up, normally we kept it to ourselves or we talked shit about it with another friend. But we were all kind of secretly happy when they fucked up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I didn't say that. Um... No, everybody, everybody has had a friend. And I feel like with that, people are just looking for things to shit on Xander about. Oh, absolutely. And we we all have been there. We all have had a friend who, like you said, dated somebody that for whatever reason, either real or imagined, petty or not, we didn't like. And yeah. like, like you said, any excuse for him to fuck up and that's it. Like, yeah, we, we've all been there. This is just Xander being a friend yeah just doing what xander does doing what friends do and even when you like even when you like your friends significant others you still shit on them yeah if your friend is mad at them you're mad at them this is how it goes i mean look at how often i'm mad at mr froggy and like the dumbest (laughs) the dumbest shit we're all like god damn mr froggy and then like the next day we're like oh we love mr froggy we do do love mr froggy but he is of the male persuasion so And sometimes they are very dumb. He is he is straight and male. It it happens. <laughs> but you know what? Even he agrees that men suck, so <laughs> there we go. He's self-aware. He is very <laughs> yes, he is very self-aware. He he is very acknowledging of yes, men suck. Buffy says she's glad someone has a happy, and Xander says all she needs is some cheering up, and he has just the thing. Crazy dance party at the bronze? Calm dance party at the bronze. Moping at the bronze? She's not entirely convinced of this plan, but before she can say anything, someone behind her mentions Oreos dipped in apple juice. Unless she's over that, of course. Buffy hugs this person, who we learn is named Ford, and asks him what he's doing there. Turns out he's finishing his senior year in Sunnydale as his dad got transferred. This excites Buffy, and Ford seems glad. He was afraid she wouldn't remember him. Not remember him. They only went to school together for seven years. He was her giant fifth grade crush. This is when Xander chooses to remind Buffy that he and Willow are still there (laughs) with a... So you two know each other? She introduces everyone, letting us know that Ford is actually short for Billy Fordham. She tells Willow and Xander that the two of them attended Henry together back in LA, and that now he's in Sunnydale. Willow asks if they were sweeties back in fifth grade, and Buffy says she wishes. Ford (laughs) then explains that he was a manly sixth grader and did not have time for someone so young. Buffy says it was terrible, that she spent months in her room moping over him and listening to the divinal song, I Touch Myself. (laughs) Of course, she had no idea what that was about. I'm assuming everyone here can figure out what I I Touch Myself is about. Anybody else? 
When I think about you, I touch myself. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Released in 1991, it was actually named Aria's Single of the Year in 1991. Aria standing for the Australian Recording Industry Association. Fun fact about the vinyls, their song, I Ain't Gonna Eat My Heart Out Anymore, is actually featured in the Buffy movie. Mm. Buffy asks if he's doing anything that night and says they were going to go to the bronze if he wanted to come. Ford would love to, but only if it won't disrupt the plans they already had. He wouldn't want to impose. Xander tells him he'd only be doing so in the literal sense. (laughs) And Ford says, great. He has to go find the admissions office, but he'll see them all tonight. Buffy offers to walk him, telling the others she'll meet them in French. As they leave, Xander does his little, this is Ford, the bestest friend of all my friends, which I also realized... I do a lot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Of course, he does follow it with a, doesn't she know any fat guys? And Xander. <laughs> Xander. Oh, Xander. Um, but you know what the other thing about Xander is, because he's so dorky, like, he doesn't know that he's attractive. Because he doesn't know how to handle it. Like, it's, yeah, we love Xander. Ford is played by Jason Bear, who would later go on to do several other WBCW shows like Dawson's Creek, Roswell, the reboot of Roswell. <laughs> And Supergirl, where he yeah. actually plays Zor-El, Supergirl's father. Yes. In the script, Ford is described as charming and innocuous, which probably should have been our first clue not to trust him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, anybody who's described as charming and innocuous is probably going to be bad news. Mm-hmm. But I love Jason Bear. I was very excited when I rewatched this episode and he popped up. Because it's, yeah. so, it's just so funny how many of these actors and actresses made the rounds. Oh, yeah. Movies. Like, it's always like they were on this WB show. They were on this WB show, which then later became UPN and everything. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and rewatch Roswell. I was never into Roswell. I enjoyed it. Because I was big. It was kind of big into my alien period. <laughs> <laughs> I had an alien and I had an alien face. <laughs> ah, that doesn't surprise me. Gonna... <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. It's like it doesn't surprise anyone. <laughs> we'll just talk about we'll talk about me a little bit later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I can I can see where we're going with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that night at the bronze, Buffy arrives to find Ford already there playing pool with Xander and Willow. Willow tells Buffy that Ford was just telling them about the ninth grade beauty contest and the swimsuit competition. <laughs> Buffy tells him to stop, telling <laughs> him that the more people he tells, the more people she has to kill. Oh, this is so cute. This is Oh, it has this this chemistry like between the two of them. You believe that they were old friends. Yes. Yes. He says she can't touch him. He knows all her dirty secrets. (laughs) Xander asks if he'd like to make a wager about that. (laughs) And Buffy nudges him before declaring that she is going to get a drink. And she would like Ford to try and not talk while she is gone. (laughs) Up at the counter, Buffy runs into Angel, who is buying himself a soda or a beer or something. Whatever. I originally had a note here about, like, why is he doing this? Is he attempting to fit in? But in the original script, this actually gets addressed. Yes. Because Buffy asks him about it, surprised that he has a drink. And he tells her that, yeah, he drinks beverages. He eats food, too. Not for nutritional value, but to pass the time. And this is a behavior we'll see later on with Spike a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, Spike drinks liquor, he drinks hot chocolate with Joyce, he likes blooming onions. So this does set up the idea that, like, yeah, no, vampires can eat, they just, they don't get anything from it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and I think there was a, I think there's, I feel like there was a scene later on with Angel and Joyce during like the whole prom graduation part where she talks to him about that or like mentions, like he brings up that he does drink. Yeah. He says he was hoping she would be there and she asks him what he did the night before, obviously wanting to see if he'll mention Drusilla. He says nothing and she replies, what, you cease to exist? No, he just means he didn't go out. He stayed in and read. Oh, Angel, this was a trap. Oh, this was so... You You walked right into it. You really did. You you deserve everything you get. While Buffy's gone, Willow and Xander tell Ford about Angel, mostly that he's Buffy's beau and her special friend. Ford says something about Angel being older than Buffy, and Xander confirms with a, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of our favorite, and that's also one of our favorite responses to something. You're not wrong. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) As Buffy returns to the others empty-handed and with Angel following, Ford comments on her lack of soda. Yeah, turns out she wasn't thirsty. Willow greets Angel as he and Ford size each other up. Buffy introduces the two properly, saying that Ford and her knew each other back at Henry. Well, considering we know that Angel was stalking her back then, he probably knows that too. Yeah, yeah. But as Buffy doesn't know that, we'll continue. Yeah. The two shake hands and Ford mentions that Angel's hands are cold. Again, Xander tells him, you're not wrong. (laughs) Earning a glare from Buffy. Angel asks if Ford is visiting Buffy, and he says no, he's there to stay. He just moved down. So he's new in town. Willow asks Angel if he'd like to join them, but, you know, it's getting a little crowded. And Buffy's kind of hot. (laughs) Pointedly asking Ford if he'd like to take a walk with her, she heads out, telling the others she'll see them tomorrow. Angel reiterates the fact that Ford is new in town, as Xander says they should all do that again. Once more with tension. (laughs) Nice little parallel to season six. Yes, yes. Willow starts to say that Angel could still join the two of them, but when she looks up, he's gone. (laughs) She frowns and tells Xander that he made him do that thing where he goes away. (laughs) I I don't think Xander was the one that made that happen. I think that was just Angel being Angel. Angel being Angel. But I love love how Willow acknowledges... (laughs) Willow acknowledges it. Also, oddly enough, in the script, uh, Cordelia joins them for that whole highly awkward conversation, (laughs) showing up just about the time Buffy and Ford are departing and calling Ford a tasty treat. I mean, he is. She's, again, she's not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) On the mean streets of Sunnydale, Buffy and Ford walk together talking. Ford asks if Angel is her boyfriend, and Buffy is unsure of how to answer that. Unsure of where they stand after the previous night and Angel's lying about it, she asks Ford if they can lay off the difficult questions, and he says sure, before asking her what they do for fun around there. Before Buffy can answer, there's a noise up ahead, and fearing the worst, Buffy tells Ford she forgot her purse back at the bronze. Could he go get it for her? He starts to head back, and she tells him to hurry, run, right before she heads towards the noise. Ford only goes a few steps before stopping and turning back around, slowly heading in the same direction that Buffy went. As he hears the sounds, which now sound like fighting, a girl runs past him crying. He then turns the corner in just enough time to see Buffy dust a vampire. She turns, ready to head back, and surprised to see him. Ford! See, uh, there was this cat, (laughs) and another cat, two cats, and they started fighting, and, uh uh-huh, Okay. Well, he just thought she was slaying a vampire. What? What do you know what? (laughs) He tells Buffy that he knows that she doesn't have to lie. He's actually been waiting for the right time to tell her. He knows she's the slayer. Dun, dun, dun. 
I love how she's trying. I, I love whenever she has to try to make up an excuse. Oh my god, I know. Buffy is bad at lying. She's really bad at coming she's up really with excuses. She's really bad at lying. She's really bad at it. Like, which is it's both funny and great because she's gotten away with it for so long, even being terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gotten her in trouble with Joyce because, again, bad liar. Moms bad know liar. when you're lying badly. Horrible liar. Oh, terrible. We move to Willow's room where she is laying across her bed talking to Buffy on the phone. So he just came out and said it just like that. Yep. Turns out he found out right before she got booted from Henry. That's neat. It is neat, right? Yeah. Buffy supposes it is. At least now she doesn't have to sit and worry that he might find out her deep dark secret. I love the juxtaposition here. Mm -hmm. So Willow's room is all lit up and bright. She's got her pajamas and her fuzzy slippers. She's surrounded by stuffed animals. And Buffy is sitting atop a counter in the darkened kitchen, still dressed. Yep. Now, there are two reads to this, I feel. Either Buffy is on the darkened set because Buffy lives her life in shadow, filled with secrets, or... Buffy is on the dark and set because, as we're about to find out, she's in the dark about Ford's true intentions. I think both are really good. I think both both reasons are great explanations for, for it. Because, yeah, she does. And you have Willow, who, even though she knows about all this darkness, she is still such a bright and cheerful person. Like, she is. You know, you know there, there's moments where... You know, she is sad. She is scared. But it hasn't broken her. No. The next thing we see is Ford walking down the street. And I have to love the script here because they call it the Urban District right before the creator inserts a note that, okay, it's our damn alley. <laughs> like, it just not Yes, we use the same alley for everything. Let's just acknowledge it. I, I like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Like, very aware of the fact that we have five sets for this for this show. He stops at a heavy metal door, the kind with the slot where someone can see out, like in all the old gangster movies. <laughs> he knocks, and whoever is manning the door looks out, sees it's him, and allows him entrance. He walks past where someone is wielding, working on a second door, before stepping onto a catwalk and slowly making his way down a set of metal stairs. The moment he begins heading down those steps, we get an idea of what kind of place this is. People clad in all black mill about or dance. Some look like they should be extras from the Lost Boys. <laughs> Others are clearly emulating Lestat and Louis, as well as several versions of Dracula. They talk, lounge on beanbags, most holding ornate goblets. This isn't just a goth club. This is a vampire club. 14-year-old uh, Mary was so <laughs> jealous. I... <laughs> I wanted to go to the vampire club. I know. The vampire the vampire goth club looked like a lot of fun. Years later, I would go to Alchemy, which was our goth club that was held at Nations. RIP got torn down to make the National Stadium. But still. <laughs> <laughs> everything that we love is destroyed love by away. sports. Sports ruins everything. <laughs> it does. I hate the sports ball. <laughs> Fucking Nationals. <laughs> At the bottom of the steps, he's greeted by Martin, who now goes by Diego, as he will tell us. Diego wants to know how it went. Fine. Fine. That's it. Ford assures him the plan is all coming together. Great. That's great. But when? When will everything be ready? Ford assures him it'll be soon, and that perhaps some Ritalin would do him some good. <laughs> 
They're soon joined by a blonde, who we will later learn is called Chanterelle. She hands Ford a drink, and he once again assures them that it's all going to work out, that they just need to make sure the others are ready, as this is going to be true believers only. In a few days, they'll get to do the two things every American teen should have the choice to do. Die young and stay pretty. His attention then goes to the movie playing on the screens as he begins reciting the lines along with it. So a few things. I love this scene. And I love, I love the, you know, the whole setup with the monitors and how, uh, yeah. And him quoting it. Oh, good. So good. One, Diego is played by Jared Paul, who went on to do such shows as Home Improvement, Monk, and The Singles Table. Two, Chanterelle is played by Julia Lee, who we will see again come season three of Buffy, and then several more times on Angel. Yep. And in what might be one of my favorite pieces of trivia, because it crosses over two of my favorite things in the whole world. (laughs) Julia is the face and voice of Constance Hatchaway, the bride in the attic of Disney's Haunted Mansion. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that is fantastic. Oh, she's, she's perfect. Ford's line about dying young and staying pretty is a reference to the 1949 Humphrey Bogart film, Knock on Any Door, a film that is described as being a courtroom noir type drama. And the film playing in the club is the 1974 version of Dracula, which was a British made-for-television version written by Richard Matheson and directed by Dark Shadows creator Dan Curtis. Yep. So after reading the script, I added a fifth point. So Chanterelle's name, we learn, was originally Joan. I find this interesting. So when we see Buffy at the start of season three, she's calling herself Anne, a name she later passes to Chanterelle, now calling herself Lily, along with her job in her apartment. This move allows her to really start to take control of her life. And by the time we see her in Angel, she started a home for wayward teens. So now... Let's look at the opposite of that. In Tapula Rasa, when Buffy doesn't know who she is, when she's lost and has no direction, she calls herself Joan, which was Lily's original name. So it's, I don't know if it's intentional, but it's its yeah. an interesting little parallel between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. No, and I do love the fact that they bring, you know, air quotes, Chanterelle back. Oh, I do too. I times. love her. Like, I love I, Julia Lee. Because, you know, so many people who have been affected by Buffy and everything, they just disappear. They never, yes. you never see them again. You never find out what they did with their life after she helped them. So yeah, that's why I really like the fact that she comes back once more in Buffy and then we see her again in an angel. Yeah. yeah I, I like for, that we revisit her. Because we see the really real impact Buffy makes on people's lives. And yeah. it's not it's not just saving their life, which yes, obviously she does in this episode. But knowing her, having Buffy in her life gave this girl the opportunity and the strength to turn her entire life around. Yeah. And you know what? Like it also, because I, I just watched The Prom the other night and it's still when, when uh, Jonathan goes up on stage and they give her the class protector award. And they're like, uh, we don't know what happened. Like a lot of stuff. We don't know why things happen, why things are going on. But you're always there and you're always helping us. And just mm-hmm. like, it's so sweet. And the Umbrella Award. I love the Umbrella. The uh, like, and I'm sitting here talking about it now. And it just, and just Buffy's reaction when they're like, is she here? Have Has anybody seen her? And like her realizing that, yes, she does have an impact. And like she started out as the weird girl. Mm-hmm. But through her time at Sunnydale, people realized that 
she was the reason why. Yes, yes, a lot of times she was the reason why bad things were happening. <laughs> but because because like I think Jonathan said we had the lowest mortality rate since Buffy came to our school. So Good that job. acknowledges the fact that all this shit was happening before she got there. But because she's there, she managed to help so many more people. Like, yeah, like we've had, because of Buffy, we had the lowest mortality rate. I love that. I do. It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's so, it's so good when they acknowledge stuff like that. We return to Willow's room where she is brushing her hair and just generally getting ready for bed. A knock on the door of her terrace catches her attention and she looks out to see Angel standing there. Clearly not what she was expecting. <laughs> I will say she does not seem surprised in general <laughs> for someone knocking on that door. Xander Just surprised probably. it was Angel. So yeah, no, that's exactly it. It makes me wonder how many times over the years Xander and Jesse used that entrance. Yeah, yeah, because it like I was thinking that um, kind of like Clarissa explains it all. Yes, like as soon as you know the ladder comes over her window, like she knows who it is. So yeah, yes. that that always makes me think that Jesse and Xander like also did that she opens the door and he says he needed to talk to her oh okay she steps aside but he reminds her that unless she invites him in he can't answer so she invites him in (laughs) as he steps inside she rushes over to hide the bra that was just (laughs) lying out on her bed we've all been there oh yeah yeah stuff the dirty laundry under the pillow oh yeah yeah throw the sheets over the top stuff stuff under the bed he tells her if this is a bad time no no it's just she's not supposed to have boys in her room (laughs) angel promises to behave and why is this two-second conversation cuter than any conversation angel and buffy have had because he like he's comfortable with buffy but like he's not used to speaking to willow one-on-one so he no. it is it's very cute it's very awkward but not in an uncomfortable kind of way no like i just i love everything about this conversation you know he's very respectful you know he's, he is yeah no he's this is this is see this is part of what i do like about angel yeah like while his relationship with buffy is very weird and it didn't really have time to progress the way he interacts with her friends is very oh, no. is very interesting. Angel with any other character on the show is infinitely better than Angel with Buffy. Yeah. I love Angel and Xander doing their old married couple shtick. I love Angel I love Angelus and Spike going back oh, yeah. and forth. I uh, love um, Angel and Willow being like buddy cops. Yeah, buddy cops, Angel and Giles were, you know, Giles' dad. Yeah, no, I just yeah. I love it. He is infinitely better interacting with any character on that <laughs> show than Buffy. Yes. But again, it's it's like we talked about at one point, and as well, and like we'll talk about a lot in the second half of the season. They kind of got painted into a corner, yeah, with Buffy and Angel, and there was only so far they could go, and so much they could do, and it really did restrict those interactions. Exactly, exactly. And I and and like I said before, like once he leaves, oh yeah, and and goes to L.A. and gets his own show and is allowed to grow. Hmm. That's where he really comes out. And it's so fun because, um, oh God, why is my, David Boreanaz, <laughs> my brain just did not want to bring his name up. Like, you can tell that he is having fun in Angel. Oh yeah. And in in Buffy, it's only in scenes like this and where he's really allowed to branch out mm-hmm. that it's more interesting. So yeah, he really will get to 
break out and make Angel more of a compelling character. He said he was hoping she could help him, and she immediately, most likely out of habit, asks if it's with homework. No, (laughs) wait, he's old and already knows everything. (laughs) At least he's not like the Cullens and still going to high school. This is true. He then clarifies saying he was kind of hoping that she could help him find some information on the net addresses, records, that kind of thing. She can totally do that. She's net girl. (laughs) Sitting down at the computer, she asks the name and Angel says Billy Fordham. (laughs) Before I continue, I just want to point out the geometric mobile above Willow's bed. Like, how cute is that? Oh, yeah. Everything about Willow is so cute. So cute. Willow asks Angel, if she says something he probably doesn't want to hear, does he promise not to bite her? (laughs) Angel then guesses that Willow's going to say he's jealous. Well, he does tend to get that way. He tells Willow he never used to be. And for a hundred years, he just kind of hung around, feeling guilty. It really honed his brooding skills. But then she came along. So yeah, he gets jealous. See, yeah, that's that's because he gets a lot more of this. Like he's very self-aware. Yes. And he can acknowledge this. So also, you're gonna you're gonna put me in the corner. What did you do? Um, I was just gonna call him and jealous. Go to the corner. <laughs> Go to the corner right now. You're not allowed to talk for the rest of the episode. <laughs> There's a reason why I added Feral Pun Gremlin to my <laughs> to my bio on Twitter. Oh, that's good. You are a Feral Pun Gremlin. <laughs> I would be sorry, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) He says he also knows people and something about this guy just seems off. Willow says, okay, but wants Angel to understand that they may not find anything. Oh, hey, that's odd. (laughs) She checked the school files and Ford isn't in them. (laughs) Usually they transfer your grades and stuff, but there's nothing there. Before Willow can say any more, her mom calls up to see if she's still awake and she pushes Angel out the door. (laughs) She yells down to her mom that she was just going to bed before telling Angel to come back the following night at sunset. She'll keep looking. He tells her not to tell Buffy and Willow becomes panicked. Lie? He wants her to lie to Buffy? More like, just not tell her. (laughs) A lie by omission. The next morning, Buffy and Ford head into school spotting Willow. They ask her if she wants to hang with them as they're cafeteria bound. But Willow is both still researching Ford and attempting to avoid spilling the beans to Buffy. So she stammers out an excuse about having work to do in the computer lab. And so she cannot join them. Buffy tells her to fess up. Has she been in the coffee again? (laughs) Because they talked about that. Willow tells Ford it makes her jumpy before running off. (laughs) Ford comments, she's a unique girl. And Buffy agrees, there's definitely not two of her in the world. Okay, so in the original script, there's an exchange that happens before Buffy and Ford run into Willow. And it's the two of them talking about LA. Buffy says how once vampires entered into the equation, her life changed. She began slacking off schoolwork and her social life became non-existent. Ford tells her she was a hit at prom though. Prom? Prom was a disaster. No, it was cool watching the gym go up in flames like something out of a movie. (laughs) Buffy says it was the worst night of her life and Ford reminds her that she saved a lot of people. He knows it and others do too. Buffy says it's nice to be able to talk to someone who was there, who knew her before and during. Ford says one minute you're a kid and the next minute hard truths hit you in the face. He'll never forget that night. Everyone else did. He asks why, and she says people tend to ignore truths they don't like. Which is when Cordelia shows up telling Buffy that she hasn't introduced her to Ford yet. (laughs) 
yeah, how about that? As they walk away, Ford <laughs> says, who was that? And Buffy says, a truth she likes to ignore. <laughs> Why did they cut that out? I know, that would be really good. I get it. I mean, the Cordelia part of it, at least. Like, with the line in the bronze, it doesn't yeah. really add anything. But yeah, no, like, I like that acknowledgement of yeah where she came from and what happened. And yeah, like, because he knows... And he and again, he understands that she saved a lot of people. And in this and that conversation just plays in so beautifully to the end of the episode. Yeah. Yep. I just oh, I'm so mad they cut that. I know. Giles approaches them, telling Buffy that Miss Calendar is taking him on their mystery date that night, but that she has given him the number of her beeper to pass on to her, just in <laughs> case any issues should arise with her studying. Buffy tells Giles that Ford knows she's the Slayer, and he takes her aside, wanting to make sure that she isn't betraying her secret identity in order to impress cute boys. <laughs> nope. She didn't tell him. He just knew. Oh, okay then. But still, if she has any problems, she tells him she'll be fine, that nothing is going to happen, and to go enjoy his date. I love... Uh, Dad Giles is... Dad Giles is the best. best. He really is. <laughs> You're not betraying your secret for cute boys, are you? Like, he understands. <laughs> that night, while on patrol, Buffy gives Ford a makeshift tour. While walking across campus, they spot two vampires trying to break in. Buffy pulls out a stake and a cross, going to hand Ford the cross, but it seems he came armed as well. She tells him to stay as close as they head towards the vampires. The female attacks Buffy, but she easily throws her off. Not so much the male, though. They fight, leaving Ford to deal with the female, who he promises to spare if she tells him what he wants to know. By the time Buffy dispenses with the male and returns to Ford, the female vamp is gone, Ford claiming to have killed her. Meanwhile... Angel, along with Willow and Xander, are on a mission of their own. Willow says the only thing she could really find was a bunch of emails about this place called the Sunset Club. Weird, but not incriminating. Angel says the fact that Ford has no records, leaves no paper trail, is incriminating enough. And Xander? He has to agree with Dead Boy on this one. <laughs> Angel really wishes Xander wouldn't call him that. I love their team up like this. Yeah, and like we said, anytime he is without Buffy, he is so much more... Fun. Approaching the same door Ford did earlier, they tell the person manning it that they're friends of Ford's and he lets them in. Heading into the main part of the club, Rilo realizes they don't exactly fit in. Yeah, Xander adds on, in no way do they stick out like sore thumbs. Angel tells them to head below, that he'll look around upstairs. After calling Angel Bossy the Cow, the two start to descend. Willow wanting to know if sore thumbs really do stick out. <laughs> Like, has anyone looked at a thumb and gone, wow, that baby is sore? Oh, Xander tells her she has too many thoughts. <laughs> she does. Uh, that's why I always loved Willow, because she thinks along the same lines I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, why do we say this? Why is this a thing? Bossy the Cow is a reference to Sesame Street. The character was featured most noticeably in the This Is Your Life sketch honoring a glass of milk as she was the cow the milk came from. I feel I remember, like, watching that sketch. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely remember that sketch. As Angel surveys the club from above, Xander and Willow look around below, passing by a dude just chilling in a coffin. <laughs> Xander asks Willow if she's starting to sense a theme, and if he means, yay, vampires, then yeah, she is. <laughs> Chanterelle approaches then, saying they must be new. 
what? No, no, they, they come all the time. It's okay. No need to be embarrassed. It's nice they're open to it. They welcome anyone seeking to understand the lonely ones. Lonely ones? Vampires. Angel has rejoined the group. Oh. Xander tells Chanterelle that normally they just call them the nasty, pointy, bitey ones. <laughs> So many people have that misconception, but they who walk with the night are not interested in harming anyone. They are creatures above them, exalted. Angel tells her she's a fool, which causes her in turn to tell him that he needn't be so confrontational about it, that viewpoints other than his own are valid. (laughs) She walks away and Xander and Willow turn to Angel. Good job. Now no one's going to talk to them. It doesn't matter. He knows what this is. He's seen it before. Children telling themselves bedtime stories of friendly vampires. Is that so bad? They have no grip on reality. No idea what vampires truly are, how they act, how they dress. <laughs> of course, as he says this, a man enters <laughs> wearing Angel's exact outfit. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> Is it Joe? No, Joe's a little too low-key for that. That's Joe's true. not going to be at the Sunset Club. Yeah, it's true. That's true. <laughs> Joe's, at the, like, Joe's the one looking at the Sunset Club being like, this shit's going to get us all exposed. We're, yeah, this, this is going to end badly. Xander says none of this explains why Ford, the Slayer's bestest friend of all her friends, is hanging out with a bunch of vampire wannabes. Willow agrees. There's definitely something going on with that guy. They head up the stairs only to pass Diego, who, though in conversation with another of the club's members, stops and watches them leave. Back in the library, Buffy apologizes for interrupting Giles and Miss Calendar's date. Giles says it's quite all right, and Jenny asks if he really hated it that much. (laughs) No, no, just vampires. On campus. Because he could have said something. Really, he was quite fascinated by the monster trucks. Wait, what? Buffy <laughs> stares at the pair. She took him to monster trucks. Oh, Jenny. She thought it would be a change. Giles says it was definitely a change. Oh. And Jenny tells him they could have left. <laughs> Buffy takes that as her cue to direct them back to the vampire issue. As if there were vampires on campus, they were obviously there for a reason. Right. They need to try and figure out what it could have been that they were looking for. Jenny asks where Ford is, and Buffy says she sent him home. Good. Giles thinks it will be much safer for him the less he's involved. Buffy says she's not so sure. He did bag a vampire his first time out, too. She's about to say more when a picture of Drusilla catches her eye. Obviously, she recognizes her as the girl from the park. Buffy asks who she is, and Giles tells her that she's called Drusilla and is a sometimes paramour of Spike. Sometimes? 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 Uh, he's hopelessly devoted to her. Yeah, Spike's entire reason for existing at this point is Drusilla. Yeah, like, there is no sometimes with that. Yeah. This is not a sometimes thing. You really need to check your sources, Giles. Yeah, yeah, somebody, you really need to up an update there. Anyway, he tells Buffy that she was killed by an angry mob in Prague. Guess they don't make angry mobs quite like they used to, because Drusilla is alive. She saw her with Angel. That catches Jenny by surprise. She thought Angel was one of the good guys. Perhaps they should read up on Drusilla. Giles thinks that might be best, and he heads to his office to get a book, only to come face to face with a vampire. The same vampire from earlier. Book in hand, she escapes the library as Buffy watches in shock. As Jenny helps Giles up, she asks if he's all right, only for him to exclaim, a book! It took one of my books! <laughs> Buffy, on the other hand, is still confused. Ford said he killed her. Of course, we will later find out that the book the vampires stole is the Dulac Manuscript, as in the book that contains the ritual to restore Drusilla, which they will attempt in What's My Line. 
Bum, bum, bum. In the factory, Drusilla is attempting to coax a clearly dead bird to <laughs> sing for her. Oh, Drew. As she's doing so, Spike enters, saying he heard the most interesting thing. Lucius told him that she went out, hunting, all by her lonesome. <laughs> she tells Spike that her tummy was rumbly and that he was out. He asks her if she saw anyone. Anyone interesting? Angel, perhaps? He kisses her temple and she repeats the name. He's just curious what the two of them would have talked about, seeing as he's now the enemy and all. Drew goes back to trying to get her bird to sing and Spike snaps at her. It's dead. She put it in a cage and she didn't feed it and now it's dead, just like the last one. This causes her to whimper and Spike immediately regrets his tone. Spike, you made your girl cry. Oh, he's sorry, really. He's a bad, rude man. He promises he'll get her another bird, one that is not dead. Ford bursts in about then, declaring the factory to be way cool. He says he could live there. Oh, Ford. This causes Spike to wonder if he has anyone on watch. It's called security, people. (laughs) Or maybe they found a restaurant that delivers. See, this scene scene again reminds me of just why this show is so good. It's just the dialogue and... Oh, everything about this scene I I love entirely. Yeah, yeah. Do we have anybody watching out? Ford says he knows who Spike is. That's nice. Spike knows who Spike is too. (laughs) Big deal. The vampire from the library brings Spike the book and he looks over it saying it will be quite useful. He then looks back to Ford who tells Spike that this is the part where he's supposed to pull out a watch and tell him he has 30 seconds to convince him not to kill him. It's tradition. (laughs) Spike's not really one for tradition. He's more for the killing now. He grabs Ford, but Drew tells him to quiet, to calm. Apparently she thinks they should hear the boy out. Spike sighs and asks him why he's there. No, no, he has to say it. It's no fun if he doesn't say it. Oh, Ford. Seriously? (laughs) Spike, with the least amount of enthusiasm possible, tells Ford that he has 30 seconds to convince him not to kill him. (laughs) Yes. Okay. He wants to be like him. A vampire. Spike informs Ford that he has known him for all of two minutes and already he can't stand him. (laughs) He really doesn't feature him living forever. Can he eat him now? (laughs) That's when Ford offers him a trade. If he makes him a vampire, he'll give Spike the Slayer, who is in her kitchen stirring a mug of hot chocolate filled with little mini marshmallows, probably. We know Joyce stocks the little mini marshmallows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joyce Joyce does the whole shebang. She is super mom. Angel appears at the back door and asks if he can come in. He can. Buffy thought once invited, they can always just walk in. They can. He was just being polite. That's a that's great new. point. That's, that's a great point. He tells Buffy they need to talk, that it's about Ford. He isn't what he seems. Yeah, well, who is these days? He tells her that Willow checked him out, that the two of them and Xander went to this club. Willow? Xander? So everyone is in on it, this great conspiracy. Angel asks her what she's talking about, and she asks who Drusilla is. No lies. She's tired of people lying to her. Angel tells her that sometimes lies are necessary, that sometimes the truth is too terrible to bear. She promises him that she can take it. Angel asks her if she loves him. What? Does she love him? She loves him, but she's not sure she can trust him. Maybe she shouldn't. Maybe she shouldn't do either. Maybe she should be the one to decide that. Angel explains that he did a lot of unconscionable things when he was a vampire, and that Drusilla was the worst. She was an obsession of his. Good, sweet, pure, chaste. And he made her a vampire? Well, first he made her insane, (laughs) killed everyone she loved, heaped every psychological torture he could think of upon her, drove her to seek out solace in a convent. And then on the day she was to take her vows, then he made her a demon. Buffy's quiet for a moment before saying she did ask for the truth. Mm -hmm. 
Angel tells her that Ford is a member of a group that reveres vampires, practically worships them. He's not sure what this means for Buffy, why Ford would want to involve her in it, but he does know she can't trust him. Okay. I want to believe the framing of the end of the scene is no accident, especially now knowing that the creator directed this particular episode. Right, right. Because you have Angel and Buffy as glimpsed through the curtains of the Summer's house, right after Angel talks about Drusilla being an obsession and what he did to her. This is the same angle we will see in Passions when Angelus is watching Buffy, his new obsession, and Willow get the call about Jenny. I think, who yeah. he killed to mentally fuck with Buffy and Giles. Yeah, see, no, especially because, especially because the creator did write this and direct this episode. So yeah, it makes sense that that it would be a callback, that it would be a line that would we would see again later. Yeah, like, so he's using this angle, like, we have this angle when Angel's talking about what he does to, this obs- to his obsessions. Yeah. And then we'll see this angle again when he's actually doing this to Buffy. Right, right, because, yeah, like, he kills everybody that she loved and drives her crazy before actually killing her. And one of the things that I love again about this episode is just how many lies are being Mm -hmm. told and how many lies there are like yes you have everything with ford but you had angel lying to buffy earlier about you know not about being home like everybody is lying in this episode everyone and i can't wait till we get to the bit at the end buffy runs into ford the next morning at school and he tells buffy that he had a great time the night before well Okay, an interesting time. (laughs) Would she want to go out again? She tells him she's not busy, and he said he had an idea of something they could do, but that it's a surprise. So to meet him there at nine. Nine, got it. She'll be there. He heads off, and Buffy goes to find Xander and Willow, who are sitting on the steps. Again. According to the script, we would have gotten some additional dialogue here where Cordelia tries to find out more about Ford from Xander and Willow. And this is what I talked about, about being kind of glad Cordy's storyline here got cut because we just, we didn't need another episode with Cordelia being the mean girl and trying to take the boy that Buffy is with or that seems interested in Buffy. Like that's done. That's tired. And I'm- Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm glad. I am glad. They cut that part. Yeah. Willow asks her if Angel, yeah, he told her everything. Willow says when he came to her room, he was just really concerned about her, worried. Sandra asks if Buffy figured out what Ford is up to yet, and she says no, but she will. She starts to walk away as Xander looks at Willow. Angel was in her room? (laughs) Theirs is a forbidden love. (laughs) At the Sunset Club, Ford asks Chanterelle if everything is ready. Diego answers that yes, everything is ready because he took care of it, just like he takes care of everything. Chanterelle asks if tonight is really the night, and he says it is. Is she nervous? Yes. Also, no. She's excited and ready for the change. Does he really think they'll bless them? He knows they will. Diego then asks if her fr- his friends are coming. Friends? What friends? The one that came the other night. Two guys and a girl? One was mean. <laughs> <laughs> Ford asks why no one told him about this. And Diego says he has to do everything. So, so sorry that this one detail slipped his mind. (laughs) Chanterelle asks if it's okay, if they're still going to bless them. Ford assures her it'll be fine. Promise? Because she needs them to bless her. 
it will be fine. No, it really no. won't. No. Buffy emerges from the shadows as Ford tells Diego, seems a little drafty in there. Diego slips off as Buffy tells Ford she knows she's early, but she just couldn't wait. She was impatient. Call it a flaw. Everyone has them. Thing is, she can't really figure out what his is other than being a lying scumbag. <laughs> so what's the deal? What's this all about? Ford tells her that he's going to be a vampire. What? Why would he want to be a vampire? No, it's not that he wants to be one. He is going to be one. Yeah, vampires are kind of picky about who they make a vampire. So what makes him think that they'll... Wait, he was going to offer them a trade. He was going to offer them her. That night, he had to know she was going to figure it out. Actually, he was counting on it. She steps back, letting go. She had kind of slammed him into a wall. And he begins coughing. She asks him what's going to happen that night. And he tells her that it's really cool. It's all happening just like he pictured it in his head. You know the part where she asked what was going to happen? Well, it's already happening. As Diego has closed the door. A door which, once closed, can only be opened from the outside. So once the sun goes down, they'll come. And then it will be time. They'll change them, and they'll ascend to a higher plane. (sighs) Yet, no, that's not what's going to happen. And the look on Buffy's face betrays just how cray-cray she thinks they all are. Oh, it is cray-cray. Buffy begins to search for another way out, and Ford tells her that they're in a bomb shelter. He knows he can never overpower her, so three feet of concrete. Buffy tells him, if nothing else, then to let the others go. But they don't want to go. Chanterelle asks her why she keeps fighting it. As Diego says, this is what they want. Their chance to become immortal. Chanterelle thinks if she just give them a chance, she'll see. What she sees is that come sundown, Spike and his buddies are going to show up and chow down on the all-you-can-eat moron buffet. Okay, that's it. Diego says they should gag her. <laughs> Buffy says they can try. <laughs> Diego says she's a non-believer, that she taints them. She says she's trying to save them, that the only hope any of them have is to escape the pit they're all in, and my God, could he have a door here outfit. (laughs) Ford has to agree with Buffy on this one. Diego does kind of look like a ninny. An alarm goes off on Ford's beeper, and he declares it to be 627, sundown. At the factory, Spike and the vamps are preparing to head out, Spike giving orders. He wants everyone to spread out with at least two on the door. First priority is the Slayer. After that, they can do as they wish. Just remember to share. <laughs> Aww. I, like that, I know. I like that he's going to make them all share. Yeah, yeah. Like, make sure everybody gets to have a meal. Don't, don't overindulge. Just, you know, be polite to each other. Coming up to Drusilla, he asks if she's sure she's up to this. She is. She wants a treat. Needs a treat. Aw. Well, then a treat she shall have. Holding out the keys, Spike tells Lucius to bring the car around. (laughs) Back at the Sunset Club, Buffy races up the stairs. Ford says she never gives up. And she says no, she supposes she doesn't. It's a good quality for people like them to have. Like them? They have something in common now. More than she thinks. Buffy stops and tells Ford she's gonna break it down for him. He? He is what they call the bad guy. Those people down there, they're not gonna be changed, are they? They're just fodder. More or less, but he is. He is going to become immortal. Buffy continues to tune him into the reality of the situation, telling him that when one becomes a vampire, he dies. And a demon sets up shop in his old house. It looks like him, sounds like him, remembers his old life, but it isn't him. Yeah, well, that's better than nothing. Nothing. His life is nothing. Ford, the rest of the people there don't deserve to die. Neither does he. And yet, he's still dying. Off Buffy's confusion, he explains. He might look good. 
but he has at the most six months left to live. And by then what they bury won't even look like him. Buffy turns away and he says, he's sorry. Do the massive tumors liquefying his brain ruin her righteous anger? (sighs) Buffy tells him she didn't know. She's sorry, but it doesn't change the fact that what he's doing is wrong. Well, why doesn't she try vomiting for 24 hours straight? Because the pain in her head is so intense. Then they can talk about right and wrong. This is why I love this episode so, so much. I love, I, I love everything about this episode. Like, we've always said that some of the worst villains are the humans. And what Ford is doing, you can't blame him. No. You can, but you can't because it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean, you can't condone what he's doing, but you can understand why. You can understand, yeah. No one wants to die, especially not at 18 years old. Exactly. And from a brain tumor that bad. Yeah, it's an- a lot of and a lot. I, I love those are my favorite episodes of shows that are of the supernatural nature where someone is just desperate mm-hmm. and they'll do whatever they can to fix whatever problems. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes this episode so sad. And the fact that Ford was willing to betray a good friend for it. Oh, there's a there is a lot of tragedy to this episode. And we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end because I mean even even this next line where Ford is talking about the rest of them, he says, the people below their sheep, they want to be vampires because they're lonely. Mm-hmm. miserable board. So there's there's just a whole bunch yeah. of tragedy to this episode. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit more at the yeah. end. Yeah. He, he doesn't have a choice. Buffy tells him that's not true. He does have a choice. Not a good one, but a choice all the same. Opting for mass murder? That's never the way to go. Nothing he can say will make that right. Ford asks if she really thinks he needs to justify himself to her. No, but she does think this is all part of his twisted fantasy. If he wanted her to feel sorry for him, then congrats. She does. But that's not going to stop her from killing him herself if the vamps come in and start feeding. He tells her, you know, he really did miss her. Outside, the sound of a car screeching can be heard, and Buffy begs Ford to help her stop this, to save the others. But he remains silent. Buffy rushes back towards the stairs, telling the others that this is not the mothership. (laughs) This is ugly death coming to... She never finishes that sentence as Ford hits her, sending her down the steps. Something that seems to shock Santorelle and Diego. She gets up and he hits her again, all while the door upstairs begins to open. Hearing it, Chanterelle ascends the stairs, ready to greet the vampires. The doors open and Spike enters, the others behind. Their gur faces are on, and it's clear this is not how Chanterelle pictured vampires to be. Oh, no, no. She's frightened, terrified, really. Spike pulls off her choker, tells the others to take them all, but leave the slayer for him. He then bites into Chanterelle's neck. Buffy and Ford continue fighting as the vampires begin and attacking the gathered wannabes. Buffy eventually manages to knock Ford out, turning to survey the chaos. That's when she spots Drew, alone and watching. Seeing her chance to organize her own trade, she leaps up onto the catwalk, grabs Drew, and points a stake at her heart. Immediately, Spike stops feeding on Chanterelle, who is now crying. He lets everyone go, or she makes Drew fit in an ashtray. Without a moment hesitation, he orders everyone to stop, to let the humans go. She then orders him to get down the steps. He does, and she shoves Drew at him before escaping through the door herself, slamming it behind her. Spike goes to follow, only to notice there's no doorknob. Outside, she runs into Willow, Angel, and Xander, telling the three of them they arrived just in time to be late. (laughs) 
the vampires contained, but they'll find a way out eventually. They should go. They'll come back later. Come back later for what? For the body. Because Ford? Ford is still locked in the basement with Spike and the others. Coming to, he asked what happened. They're stuck in the basement. And Buffy? She's not stuck in the basement. (laughs) Hey, look. That's not his fault. He delivered. Had the Slayer there and waiting. True. Spike supposes he did. So then what about his reward? Buffy comes back the next morning to find the door broken and Ford dead on the stairs. Our last scene takes us to the cemetery. Buffy and Giles standing in front of Ford's grave. Can I read Giles's? <laughs> you can do the part at the end. Laying down flowers, Buffy says she doesn't know what to say. Giles tells her she doesn't need to say anything. She says it would have been easier if she could have hated him. That she thinks maybe Ford wanted her to. That it made it easier for him to be the villain of the piece. She says every day this whole thing just gets more complicated. That she doesn't know who to love or who to trust. Giles tells her that's called growing up. She'd like to stop now, okay? She asks if it ever gets easy right as Ford rises and she's forced to stake him. To stake someone she knew since before she was the Slayer. As he explodes into dust, Giles asks if she means life. Yeah, does it ever get easy? What does he want? What does she want him to say? Lie to her. And while I love this scene, this episode, I don't know, this time it hit a little bit different. And at Buffy's lie to me, I just, I started to cry. Yeah, I like, I'm feeling close to tears as I'm getting ready to read Giles's line. Yes, it's terribly simple. The good guys are always stalwart and true. The bad guys are easily distinguished by their pointy horns or black hats. And we always defeat them and save the day. No one ever dies. And everybody lives happily ever after. We then fade to black as Buffy responds with, Liar. The end. The end. <sighs> so like I like I was saying a few minutes ago, there is there is a deep tragedy to this episode. Uh, Ford's desperation. Um, the fact that he's dying of this horrible terminal illness and that he'd do anything to save it. And I mean, we, we see that over and over again. I mean, this is not the first time we've seen terminal illness on the show. It's not the last time we'll see terminal illness on the show. It's not the only time we've seen someone make a deal with a supernatural creature to stop a terminal illness. Uh, did you ever read the first book? The I, Demon Hunt? Did oh you ever no. go back and read no, Carpe I Demon? No, I haven't gone back to... No. Okay. This whole, this idea comes up there. Okay. You find out someone was dying and so he makes a deal with a demon. Like the whole, like everything about this episode, it just hits so hard. And it's one of those things that hits harder now that I'm older. Now that I'm, you know, have more world experience, like experience in life and- it's Mm -hmm. and now and i have a kid you know i have you know he's he's almost 10 years old and he's seeing how the world is and that it was easier when he was little to lie to him and tell him that you know everything is okay but i mean we you know everything on the news is so terrible now it's like i i break things down i turn it off because i want to explain things in a way that he can understand you know so I do lie to him still. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just you want to protect the people you love. And it really is like it is. That's it's difficult, but yeah, it's <laughs> No, it, it's hard. And I mean, even even being an adult, there's still times I just yes, lie to me. Yeah. Tell yeah. me that it's very simple and this is gonna be fine and that tomorrow is going to be better. Yeah. It, it's that's exactly it. And you know, I even, you know, I'm just like Mr. Froggy, tell me something good, you know, just tell me something happy. And it's, it's like, we just have to take all the good stuff that we can right now. 
And that's why, like, that's why, like, I hate this whole idea that a lot of people have that once you reach a certain age, you have to give up all the fun stuff that you love and all of the things that brought you happiness. Like, being an adult fucking sucks. So we gotta take any joy that we can where we can. Absolutely. That's like, ever like all the posts you've seen going around this year that are like, I do not care if you want to put up your Christmas tree. Let somebody have that. Yes. Like, let everyone enjoy their pumpkin spice. Let everyone put up their Christmas tree in August if they want. Yeah, like, this year and last year, like, I don't care. Like, I was driving to the mall yesterday, and somebody had a huge oogie boogie outside their house. Giant, like, as tall as the house. And they had skeletons out front. And all of their Halloween decorations out front. And I'm like, you know what? If that makes you happy, I don't give a fuck that it's August. You know, it's just, life is too fucking awful right now to be worried about people doing things that make them happy. Pretty much. Yeah. And you know what? Like a lot of it also, and I'm, you know, again, I'm going to get deep here. A lot of it also (laughs) is very misogynistic because it's a lot of stuff that make women happy. Oh, yeah. That people... You know, like people wanting to like holding on to fandom and hold like just even pumpkin, like people making fun of pumpkin spice. Yes. I mean, that's very much a a basic white girl. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Like if it fucking makes somebody happy, let them be happy. Exactly. It's not it's not hurting you. It doesn't. It It literally hurts nobody it literally hurts nobody if somebody wants to go put their christmas lights outside no like everything fucking sucks (laughs) yeah and i mean that that touches on to the the second part of the tragedy behind this episode because it's like what ford says about the people at the sunset club these are people who feel isolated alone miserable they want something in their life to change they want something to be different and and they think becoming a vampire is going to do that for them yeah but this is just this is something a belief like angel says these are people telling themselves stories in the dark this is something they cling to yeah to escape and get past what they see as the awfulness of their everyday life yeah and it's just it's just when you think about it this episode is is it's just so tragic and it is it's, it's tragic it's, in a very real world sort of exactly, way exactly it's one of the most real life tragedies that you can that you can get and it's that's a, another reason why as as much as this episode hurts it is one of my favorites yeah and again it it just goes back to the way that they handle real life issues in a supernatural way i mean like there there's like a lot there's a lot of people with terminal illnesses that are fighting for the right to die yeah because they want to go on their own terms and that to me even though he's looking for eternal life that's him trying to do something on his own terms yeah i mean i think again that that's a debate we could talk about all day and we're not really going to touch on that but i mean it's what he says that what they bury won't resemble him. And it's, I mean, that that's a terrifying thought. Especially as a teenager. Especially as a teenager to know that you're going to die. And when you get to that point, 
that six months from now, you're going to be weak. You're going to not be able to take care of yourself and you're not going to resemble the person you are. Yep. That's horrifying. Yeah. And the fact that he just apparently fucked off and left his parents. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's going to have to. He's grabbing a vampire. Yeah. yeah. But I get, yeah, no, I didn't think about that. Like his poor yeah. parents, they're like terminally ill child. Yeah. And, well, disappeared. And, and like the other thing that I, that I was thinking about, about how much of this is like such a 90s thing is the fact that he can just show up in a school. I thought about that too. I was like, how is nobody questioning who this guy is? But no, it was the 90s. And the you day. could just like walk into your friend's school yeah. and nobody cared. Yeah, he just did. He might not have had any classes with, you know, anybody, you know, any of them. But like, yeah, back in the 90s, you could just walk in the school. Yeah. You didn't even have to visit the office. No. So the, oh, the other thing is that, like I was saying earlier, this episode really kicks off the rest of the season. Yes. Because... One, it's called Lie to Me. And two, yeah. we talk about these these big life lessons that, you know, we always win. We always defeat everyone. Well, this very next episode, we're going to deal with Giles' secrets. Yep. And the lies he's told. Exactly. Yeah. And then we're going to go from there to the ritual with Drusilla and Spike and Angel being in danger. And then after that, we're going to go into Angel losing his soul. Exactly. And so like this. This is a this freight is train. The, yeah. This is this is it. And I mean, it wasn't the mid-season break. Like, nobody saw it coming. But, like, this really does start. Yeah. Because when you... Where we all have to grow up. And we're all gonna... These life lessons that we're talking about, we're going to see them all come into play. Yeah, we didn't... And, like, the thing is... And, and again, watching this now rewatching everything when this episode hit it was just another episode you know you didn't really think about anything but now when you rewatch it and you know where everything is going to yeah because when we first watched it we had no idea what was coming down the line yeah everybody was just and everybody was all excited about yay yay buffy and angel they had sex no 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 (laughs) don't have don't have sex or you'll turn evil Do not have sex. Your partner will turn evil and you I, will die. That I, <laughs> watching, oh my God, thinking about that episode about being a parable about having sex as a teenager and how your boyfriend will become evil is just... <laughs> when we get there, there's some stuff to be said about that because there is, I do know for a fact that those are two of the episodes that have commentary yeah. for this season. And there is... The creator does talk a bit about, about about how he didn't want this to be like, no, teenagers don't have sex. But he also didn't want it to be like, go teenagers, have sex all the time. <laughs> yeah. And like how he had to walk the line about that. So we will, but we'll, yeah. talk, to the, we'll talk about that when we get there. I can't, I can't wait to get to that point because that's so much fun. And we can talk about rocket launchers. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for this week. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. And make sure to join us next time when we take on season two, episode eight, The Dark Age. Oh, yes. You were, again, we are going to be so insufferable during that episode. If you thought thought we were bad during Halloween, it's going to get even worse. So buckle up. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and want to let us know it, you can subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.